If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Our guest today is none other than Tasha Anderson, founder of the Charity CFO, through which she has worked with hundreds of small nonprofits offering affordable accounting and finance office solutions. Tasha and I met actually through a mutual client. I had facilitated their board retreat, and her firm provides CFO services to the organization. Now, I typically follow up three months after a retreat just to ask how things are going and if there's any additional support that they might need. And in that follow-up, the chief executive of the organization gushed about the amazing new accounting services she was receiving from the charity CFO. Now, since I found out that through her firm, Tasha provides services all over the country, and because I am often asked by clients and others for good accounting referrals, I asked for an introduction and scheduled a 30-minute meeting with Tasha. Now, you know a meeting is good if we schedule 30 minutes and we both decide we're going to speak for about 75 minutes. And we had such a great conversation that I knew we had to have her on the podcast because she has so much good information to share with our listeners. So Tasha has worn many hats during her 15 years of working with and for nonprofits. She's been an auditor, a CFO, a board member, a volunteer, and a consultant. And as I've already said, she is with us today to share the wealth of experience that has allowed her to build a full-service accounting firm specializing in nonprofit accounting. Our conversation is undoubtedly going to cover a lot but it will indefinitely include a thorough discussion of the way your finance office must evolve as the organization grows. Hey, Tasha, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Don. Super excited to be here. So not many people who enter the nonprofit sector actually do that through accounting. So tell us, how did you get started in nonprofit accounting? That's always a funny question, Dolph, because I I stumbled across, as I find most people that work in the nonprofit space, never 
plan on going into the nonprofit space, and they certainly uh, never thought they would be there, right? And I started my career in public accounting. I spent um, a couple years there specializing in construction initially, had the opportunity to move into the nonprofit practice. That was the area that no one else wanted to work in. I was an ambitious young uh, professional looking to get promoted and make a way for myself. So I took up the challenge and really realized how difficult it is uh, to audit nonprofits, how to manage the accounting and finances for nonprofits, and how much there was a talent shortage for people that understood that type of work. And because of all of those things, high turnover, short talent pools, limited resources to hire the right people, or um, any people for that matter, I noticed that there were a lot of issues around the accounting and finance departments. So frankly, it made it really difficult to work uh, in that space. And I switched my mindset a little bit and decided instead of kind of dwelling on some of the negatives to create myself an opportunity to train, work with and educate the folks that are running nonprofits so that hopefully we can turn things around for them. So at that point, taking something that I kind of disliked, a challenge I didn't know if I was ready for, decided to make it a career focus of mine. Uh, I left uh, auditing after I audited nonprofits for seven years, and I decided to entrench myself even further into that industry by being a CFO of a nonprofit. So now I like to just say I'm a CFO of many nonprofits now. So it was completely by accident. But um, completely by accident, but, you know, here I am and, and now I'm loving it. So let's talk real quick about your auditing experience. So you've already mm -hmm. mentioned that, you know, as an auditor, you saw there was often a lack of skill set. There was high turnover. Mm -hmm. um, how did that exhibit itself among nonprofits? Like, so as an auditor, what issues did you see that you really attributed to maybe not having the right skills in the finance function, uh, frequent turnover, that type of thing? Yeah, low level of documentation and evidence for things, misapplied, you know, payments, incorrect billings, lack of billing to funders, poor cash flow issues, just a messy set of books overall. Um, and sometimes them not even knowing that they were messy. Um, sometimes they were not even auditable. Uh, we couldn't get through the, the grant or the contract audit because they didn't have any documentation. They didn't have any um, substantiation for any of the transactions, the services delivered, um, truthfully, because they didn't know that they needed to even keep that information. So those were generally some of the main issues or concerns around auditing nonprofits, especially those ranging between 250,000 to say three or 4 million, which is kind of our core client base. They don't have someone full-time. They don't have someone experienced yet. They were starting to get the complexities that comes with expanded funding, but didn't understand all of the contract components that they needed to manage. So I have to ask, because I almost never hear about an organization that's truly unauditable. So what do you do as an auditor when you walk in and you're like, you have nothing that I could possibly use to audit you with? What do you actually do? So now you call me, uh, I've been referenced as the cleanup crew. <laughs> so we go in, we've actually had to remove ourselves from that engagement. If there's truly nothing to look at, we don't, um, we, we can't audit them. We, we have to back out of the engagement. Uh, in that particular case, they have to then go back to the funders and explain to them, um, which we never wanted to do. Um, audit firms 
by nature now can't actually do the work. So they have to find someone like myself or another professional that can come in and help the organization find what they need in order to put the pieces together, right? So in some cases, I just had a client, they've struggled to get through an audit the last couple of years. They engaged us in June. We had an audit by mid-July, so just a month and a half later. And we were calling different vendors to get copies of invoices. We were calling the bank to get copies of checks that were deposited. We were calling the funders to get copies of the contracts. Uh, All of those sorts of things, looking through our credit card statements to see if we can get things reproduced, quite frankly. Uh, It's a lot of work, but if we can do a little bit of that going forward each month, Uh, and put processes in place to retain that information, it makes it a lot easier on the back end. Right, right. It's interesting. I I actually have one client where um, in order for them to be able to do the audit, uh, people were like opening desk drawers and looking for receipts. And that was the point at which I was like, yeah, you're going to have to bring someone in from the outside to clean this up because that's not where you should be keeping your receipts crumpled up in desk drawers. Yes, yes, we were we were doing that. We were going through several different desks, several different drawers, file cabinets, everywhere where we can possibly find uh, documentation. You know, believe it or not, we pulled it off. We had no adjustments to the audit, which I think was the first time in history. Um, but I think we had three CPAs from my team working on their accounts receivable alone. So it was pretty bad. Um, (laughs) So that's why most of my referrals come from auditing firms that know that they have clients that it's really difficult to audit. Things are messy. So they bring us in to hopefully clean things up and, and keep it keep it clean moving forward. You know, and, and my guess is that organizations that end up with those types of issues probably back into them. So, you know, when, when in the, in an organization's first year, when it only has five or $10,000 of income, you probably don't need an audit. And it's really easy to kind of keep track of your income and expense in Excel or even a, a paper file, frankly, and complete your 990. So, so what needs to happen with the evolution of a finance office as an organization goes from that really early startup of, you know, under $25,000 of revenue to 100000 or a quarter million dollars? That's a great question. I think, I think that answer has changed and evolved as technology has evolved. And you would be quite amazed to see how much you can do with little capacity internally. That's one of the things my firm focuses so much on, deploying technology to help us better organize digitize and track uh, receipts for both revenues and expenses. So we use things like Expensify, Receipt Bank, or any of those other credit card type receipt, you know, software technology, you know, solutions. And we're deploying those so that folks can just simply take a picture of something, upload it, it gets synchronized into your QuickBooks online system or some other software platform that you're using. And it almost becomes a very unintentional way of doing bookkeeping. So in the past, I think the solution was always hire a person, hire another person. But I think if we could take a little bit of time, take a step back and assess the technology solutions available, people would be quite amazed to see how easy bookkeeping can be and how easy it is to organize and digitize a lot of those things. So I think initially under 100,000, a nonprofit can certainly manage a lot of their own bookkeeping, you know, and perhaps just simply have a CPA that's reviewing 
everything for classification, making sure that, you know, expenses and revenues are in the right buckets solely for the preparation of the tax return. That can probably be done on an annual basis. Once you get beyond that, you're probably getting into restricted monies, right? Tracking grants um, or other special funds for, for any particular reason. That's the point where you really want to um, consider hiring at least a part-time bookkeeper uh, or continuing to build out those platforms, those technology platforms to track those. There's a couple really good resources out there um, on how to properly set up a QuickBooks account specifically for nonprofits. And you can use little custom fields to track the different restricted funds. So it sounds a little complex as I describe it now, but um, it's really simple to set up and it's really simple to track so that you can easily run reports to say how much revenue from this grant, how much expenses, and what is our ending balances. Uh, So that's certainly something that I set up for all of our clients. I could teach other people to set up for their own companies and organizations. It makes it a lot easier than hiring a full-time person. So once we get to about 250,000, you know, certainly probably a part-time or outsourced solution. And frankly, with the right technology deck, the right processes, the right workflow, we can certainly grow. We have clients all the way up to three or 4 million a year that still use us for an outsourced solution. So simply putting more money to the problem doesn't always fix the problem. That was a big thing I've learned in my time of auditing and now serving on the consulting side, that just by simply adding more people doesn't necessarily mean it will fix the problem. Uh, the, the example I gave earlier of the audit, you know, the client that just went under audit after having a couple of years, they had two full-time people. It was costing them about $200,000 a year. And things were still not in a good place, right? So understanding that it's the workflows generally, the systems, the processes, and then the people we have on place. But truly, I think a part-time bookkeeper could get you to, you know, frankly, about a million dollars or more, uh, depending on those workflows. So interesting. So so let me ask you, so you mentioned like, you know, a part-time bookkeeper can probably get you to, you know, from a quarter million to about a million dollars. One of the things that I often see, in addition, like you, in addition to those broken systems where people say, well, let's just hire more staff, is sometimes as organizations grow, they don't necessarily have the right staff. So as the organization is growing from a quarter million dollars to a million dollars, how does it know that either it's not brought its bookkeeper along with it in terms of training or it's outgrown its bookkeeper? That's a great question. I think understanding their capabilities from how long does it take? Are they looking at other solutions to help automate and integrate? How well do they really know the system? Are they certified or get training in the system? That's going to be a huge component. Remembering that these systems are updated several times a year now, especially these cloud-based systems on a continuous basis. So is this person continuously learning? If you ask for reports, simple reports, give me a, you know, revenue and expense report by a department, are they able to do that or not? Are they able to update and revisit your chart of accounts as you've changed your budget, right? Are you making sure that your accounting system is matching how you manage the company internally? If your bookkeeper is not able to have those conversations with you, it's probably time to either get them some new training or consider some additional skills. And that might mean replacing them with someone else, or it might mean bringing someone on in a smaller capacity as an oversight role that you can have some of those additional kind of financial thought leadership advisory component to your accounting function. I think any of those options could certainly work for anybody kind of over that million dollars. And 
frankly, that's sometimes why a lot of people reach out to us. They have a bookkeeper. They're great from the day-to-day transactional, getting the information into the system, but they're coming up on some of these more complex things and they need someone to help them through that part of it as they launch into their next phase of growth. And, and I'll share with you, I mean, and, and I really don't do a lot of accounting work, as you know, but one of the things that I just see with a lot of the clients that I've worked with is that, you know, the person that's doing their bookkeeping is probably not the right person to be developing systems and implementing systems. You know, once once they're trained in them, they're they're able to keep those systems going. But really, in terms of saying, okay, you know, we need to implement expense fine. Here's what we're going to do, or we need to implement T sheets, and here's how we're going to do it. Sometimes that, that that's just beyond their their capacity and their ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I often joke that we're not an accounting firm; we're an IT firm that does accounting for <laughs> because we use so much technology and. And and a lot of, I have people on our team that their job is to constantly scour what is new and relevant and updated with respect to technology. And I think it's a huge disservice to any company, especially nonprofits, to not have someone, um, even at an intern level, quite frankly, to be assessing and evaluating how can we do things a little bit differently. In fact, a lot of the, the tips of technology that I used, I hired a gentleman out of college. He was still in college at the time. And he had a really strong interest in technology. But he also understood accounting because he was an accounting student. So I hired him with with the sole function of him constantly evaluating what is the best platform specific to this industry um, that could accommodate things like restricted fund tracking, department tracking, budget tracking, those sort of things. Um, so okay, it's so really, it's I really, gotta stop you there because you cannot, you cannot throw out that bait saying that you hired someone to determine what the best <laughs> platform is and not tell us what it is. So what is the best platform yeah. for that million dollar organization that needs to be tracking yeah. restricted funds? No, that's great. Yeah. So my favorite technology deck, and I have to say in full disclaimer, I have zero financial uh, partnership, or I don't even know if they know I exist. Uh, with these software companies, but we've spent a lot of time researching it. So my favorite technology deck right now um, is I use QuickBooks Online primarily. Almost all of our clients actually come to us with that. We didn't necessarily re- recommend it or require it. It's just affordable and it's easy to use. I like that deck, uh, that particular software, because oftentimes if you're going to be looking for a bookkeeper, they're going to have some sort of experience in that software platform. It makes for an easy transition. Um, I also like for paying bills. Uh, nonprofits generally have to have approvals documented on those bills. Oftentimes they have to have multiple people approved and they need to save the image or the documentation for it, right? So digitizing the the actual invoice. Bill.com is a software platform that you can simply upload the invoice. Your bookkeeper or someone on your team can code uh, the account, the department, the grant, tag the appropriate people for approval, including your board members that might be out of town traveling and no bills get paid until everybody's approval is met. And and, and if I can, if I can just jump in real quick, I want to talk about both those. Um, So QuickBooks, one of the things that I love about QuickBooks, I know a lot of people look down their nose at QuickBooks. One of the things that I love about it is that it is so commonly used that almost there's an integration with almost every other financial HR system will integrate into your QuickBooks so that you don't have to manually enter it. And that's one of the things I love about QuickBooks, even though I know I know a lot of accountants look down their nose at it. And, and I also want to back up 
your testimonial about Bill.com. Um, at at least two of the places where I've done interims, we've used Bill.com, and it is phenomenally convenient. Not only does it manage all the approval process, but it also cuts the check and sends it for you, which you know, mm-hmm. you know, which now means that that you do not have a human being in your office that spends a day every week cutting checks and mailing them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why I like QuickBooks, because it interfaces and integrates with all of these things. So um, build.com is fantastic. I had a client that kept getting, you know, recommendations from the auditors, you're inconsistent in your approvals, inconsistent in your documentation for transactions. uh, Build.com has completely eliminated that issue. Uh, Receipt Bank I use for um, credit cards. I have one client, for example, that has 15 different credit cards. They are uh, a recipient of the AmeriCorps program grant. And in order to use to effectively administer that program, you have to have documentation for every single transaction that hits that budget. Well, we were doing an incredibly manual process. They were paying a full-time person just to manage all of the credit card transactions. And the staff that were using the credit cards, the program people, they were uploading the receipts, they were scanning them, they were doing all these different manual transactions. I said, why don't we just use a receipt bank because it allows you to get down at a very granular level. Some of them don't allow you to get down to a program or a subprogram, um, a grant or a subgrant. Receipt Bank allows you to dive into each one of those different layers. So we like to use that for Receipt Bank. And now you've essentially eliminated the issue of the accountant having to reproduce all of the manual work that the program folks have already done. And, and so I'm familiar with Expensify, which I assume is similar to Receipt Bank, but are you recommending Receipt Bank because Expensify will not allow you to go down into those sub-program levels or? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. We, we like Receipt Bank right now because it allows you to get at all those different granular levels so that we can easily reproduce the reports yep. um, in a very you know, segmented way. Yeah, got it. Um, so that for the primary user, there's a couple add-on software solutions that we like as well. Uh, there is a cash flow forecasting. I could look at this point in time all the way out for 18 months. It's called Float, F-L-O-A-T. And you can actually project out what your cash balance. So at the end of the day, we care a lot about revenue. We care a lot about expenses. That's what really the board thinks about, right? As a CEO... you're worried, am I going to have enough cash? And when am I going to run out of cash three months, six months in advance based on these scenarios and assumptions? Presumably your budget, but not always. Your budget, it becomes irrelevant at some point. Usually during the year, you have to update it with things that you now know. Based on that information and knowledge, can we project out when we're going to have a cash deficit? And can we do some proactive fundraising And all of that integrates with QuickBooks. So QuickBooks feeds the actual numbers and it projects it out for 18 months what your cash balance is going to be. I love that. And and I am absolutely going to use that. Um, I I have not used Float or even been familiar with it. Um, I'm currently doing an interim with a multi-million dollar organization. And every Friday, um, this is one of the things that I just require. Every Friday I get a cash flow projection. And I know Mm -hmm. that someone in the finance office has to sit down and probably spends two or three hours every week to put that cash flow projection form uh, together for me. So when I walk into the office this week, I'm totally going to be like, you all need to look at float and make this a little bit simpler for us all. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we're able to do that for our clients. A lot of our clients like to really get into the nuts and bolts of the accounting, the projections, and they can run different fundraising scenarios. Maybe they want to hire another person. They're writing grants so they can assume if we get that grant, then that means we have to hire this additional person. At what point does that affect cash flow positively or negatively? There's all different scenarios that we can run um, in that regard. So, of course, that's a lot of the accounting uh, technology that we use for our clients. But, of course, we've built an entire infrastructure of technology that allows us to be extremely efficient in the work mm-hmm. that we're doing. So I tell clients, you know, perhaps maybe you were paying somebody 15, 20 hours a week, um, but now using the right technology and holding your internal team responsible for uploading documentation, following these workflows, using these processes, instead of 15 or 20 hours a week, we can get it down to five. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can hire a more qualified person to fill an accounting and bookkeeper role, or we can just save money overall if that's not something we need. So collectively, it's a really nice solution for everybody. So so we've talked about, obviously, QuickBooks. We've talked about um, Receipt Bank. And um, and float. Are there any other technology solutions you're recommending right now? Not not as it relates to accounting. That pretty much covers the bases. Uh, when we get into more complex things, like um, for example, if you have PayPal, that also integrates with QuickBooks. Your banking should also integrate with QuickBooks most of the time. All of this data entry that you're doing from various uh, donor databases. I'm trying to think of some of them off the top of my head. I've got a couple clients that have membership models or they rent, uh, they book and rent out uh, community Mm -hmm. spaces, right? Uh, All of those different platforms, those e-commerce platforms that allow us to get earned revenue oftentimes integrate really nicely with QuickBooks. So rather than paying someone in a very manual way to enter all that detail, you can set that up to be ported right into your accounting system that completely eliminates and streamlines a lot of that. We have a church, for example, their online giving platform. We were able to connect with QuickBooks. So rather than entering all of those transactions individually, it just gets data dumped right into the accounting system. So if there's any software out there, to your point, Doc, that you were making earlier, with HR, sales, um, you know, especially on the payroll side, any software that you're using, Look and see if QuickBooks is compatible with it in some way. I'm sure that there probably is. And that's one of the reasons why I like that software. They spend a lot of money over there and into it, making sure that they're constantly able to integrate with as many things as possible. So uh, another quick question around integrations. And, And I run across this all the time. Again, I really don't do accounting consulting, but I know enough to be able to say to a client, you're going to get in trouble here. You need to talk to someone who knows what to do. And so oftentimes I'll be working with an organization and maybe they're getting their first federal grant or their first federal pass-through grant. So they may not even realize mm-hmm. it's federal funding because it's coming from their city, but it's really federal money. Um, and mm-hmm. and I'll kind of say, oh, you know, are you keeping timesheets? And they go, no, we don't have to keep timesheets. And I, yeah, exactly. We can see each other. I just saw your face. I make that exact same face. And, and I'm like, mm, you should really talk to whoever your grant officer is, because yeah, you, if you get federal money, you do have to have time and effort documentation and you do have to have timesheets. Now, is there any type of electronic timesheet system that you recommend as an integration with QuickBooks? I think it depends on the size of the organization. If you're less than 10 employees, you could probably, and again, it depends on the operation. So uh, I've had 
Head Start, Early Head Start, and they have shared group of employees and they kind of move from one classroom to the next, that's a little bit harder to use. And you probably are going to have a hand punch machine or something like that. If you have some social workers that are basically in front of their desk, in front of their computer, you could use something like T-Sheets is really common and, and really popular uh, that also integrates nicely with QuickBooks. I'm sure there's other platforms out there in a, in a more sophisticated way through a payroll processing company, but I would certainly ask them to what degree they can accommodate that. Not every payroll company is created equally and can do that uh, with, with relative ease. So that would certainly be something I would be looking at. But kind of going back to, if you don't mind, I'd like to just add that I don't think that that people realize sometimes that when you're getting federal or even state money and you're going to be audited or you're going to have a compliance audit, generally what they call those audit programs. So the people that are going to come out and inspect you, that information, what they're going to be looking at is publicly available. And so to your point, if they're going to be inspecting timesheets, they're generally going to have that in their audit program that, you know, reviewing certain documentation, discussing certain things. And once you get a contract, I would also look for an audit program. Uh, everything at the, the federal level, I certainly know is available. I'm based here out of Missouri. Same. If we get state um, income tax credit programs and things like that, all those audit programs are available. So when you get those contracts, make sure that you read them and, and really understand them. And yeah, and if I can jump in, I also think it's a really good idea for the executive team, the finance office and the and whoever that you know is running the program team to be proactive and talk to the grant manager at the funder, whether that's the city, the state, the feds, whoever, and say, you know, hey, we know that you're going to be doing a site visit probably in about a year. Can we get you to do one after we've been operating for three months? And can you go ahead and give us the site visit tool so that we can be performing in accordance with that site visit tool? And, you know, and, and then, and then, you know, while well, yeah, you're asking to do a little bit of work and you're going to have to do a little extra work because you're asking really for two site visits in the first year. By getting one in your first, you know, after your first three months, you correct things early as opposed to getting 13 months in and realizing, oh, we forgot to have, you know, time and effort documentation or, you know, or, oh, you know, we're not producing our client files and financial records correctly for this funder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's a great idea. And if nothing else, if you have a new accountant that's coming on board, I think it's a great idea for them to reach out to the, the billing folks on the other side on those grants relationships and just talking about a conversation. Are you getting the are you getting the financials that you need? Are you getting the invoices in the right way? What are some of the issues that have happened in the past? I've done that with most of my clients that I've known had contract issues, compliance issues. Uh, and haven't necessarily been in great standing with funders in the past. I proactively like to reach out to those funders. It's a new day. Share with me a little bit more about your struggles and your issues. And I think sometimes a CEO might be surprised a little bit at how that accountant or bookkeeper might be interfacing with the funders. And if there are any issues on those sides, I think we we uncovered some some challenges in the last year with some of those clients that we have and their funders that the CEO just didn't know. Right, right. Um, well, Tasha, let me say, I've got to leave time for the off the map question, but this has been such a great conversation. I kind of feel like the moral of the story for everybody listening today is that, um, first of all, use technology to manage your finances. Second of all, to essentially 
Think about getting higher skill level at fewer hours that leverage that technology well so that, you know, maybe you don't need a full-time person managing your, your money if you're a 500000 or a million or even two or $3 million organization. Maybe you really can get by with a part-time person and some consulting and really manage your funds well and, and that, that that's the goal. It's not to increase your headcount. Exactly. So let me ask you, um, and I have to say that you have so perfectly led into, Tasha, <laughs> this off-the-map question, because I really believe that there will come a time when most of the things that we do today are going to be obsolete because of artificial intelligence. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you've already talked about, okay, here are some great apps and programs that can probably eliminate headcount within your organization. So mm-hmm. let's say the year is 2030. And now artificial mm-hmm. intelligence does all accounting. All you've got to do is download the program and it runs everything. So suddenly, Tasha, you've got to find something else to do. If you cannot pursue what has been your life career, which is accounting, what's your next gig? Oh, wow. Uh, if it relates a little bit to what I was doing before helping to set up the accounting systems to be able to do all that integration, which frankly, we're not even that far off, I'd say even 2025 or less to be in the place where where you're referring to. But secretly before, if I I always said, if I lost my company today, and and everything changed, um, before starting this firm, I actually saw myself as as potentially being a leader of a nonprofit and and maybe a CEO of a nonprofit. I've been accused of a social worker at heart, I love the mission-based businesses. I love working with those folks. And so I'd probably find myself back in a leadership role at one nonprofit rather than working with numerous nonprofits. So I could totally see you as a nonprofit CEO. I mean, you're already <laughs> a CEO because you're running your own company. But And, and let me say, just for listeners, um, this is not an insignificant company. Tasha has, you know, I don't know the exact head count, but I think it's at least a dozen, maybe dozens of accountants working mm-hmm, for her, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are actual employees and she offers good benefits, you know, so she's already the CEO of a company. But I love the fact that you're going to transition into the social sector when accounting is all artificial intelligence. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Tasha, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. I especially appreciate your message of let's find um, ways to use technology um, to really leverage expertise. So listeners, if you heard Tasha today and realize that your nonprofit needs a little bit of help in your finance office, whether that's, hey, are we doing the right things? Do we have the right skill set or do we have the right technology? Be certain to check out her website, which is thecharitycfo.com. Once again, that's thecharitycfo.com. Now, just so you're aware, at her website, she will be launching a new blog through which she'll be sharing articles that are really relevant for all nonprofit executives and board members. I know some folks feel like accounting can be boring, and maybe some folks feel like we cover accounting issues a little bit too much on this podcast, but if we're not keeping track of our funds, we're not going to keep getting funds. So please make sure once that blog launches, you go and you subscribe to updates. And finally, I want to let you all know about an amazing offer that Tasha has made for just our listeners. She is willing to offer a free 45-minute strategy session to assess your current situation and offer some recommendations for improvement. So if you found this generic conversation helpful, imagine how helpful an actual conversation just you and Tasha is going to be. So you 
cannot miss this offer. I will share with you the URL. It's a little bit long to read. So we're going to post that in our show notes and we are going to put that as the very first link in the show notes. Um, we're also going to obviously link to Tasha's URL, uh, her business's URL, and we're also going to link to the different apps that Tasha mentioned in the podcast today. But front and center will be your free 45-minute consultation. Please make sure that you reach out and take advantage of that. That is a valuable offer. Tasha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dolph. It's been really great. I've kind of noticed that accounting sometimes doesn't get a lot of, of airtime and it doesn't get a lot of opportunities for me to share Yes, a little bit about accounting, but a lot of hacks that we can do to really make it as painless as possible. So thank you so much for letting me hop on the line today and share a little bit more about what we've been doing and how we can help other nonprofits really streamline all of that work for them. Well, well thank you. And I'm so thrilled you shared the hacks. Thank you. But So dear listeners, if you're currently assembling all of the documents for your pre-audit field work, because like you know you maybe you've not embraced technology yet and you're opening up those desk drawers and looking for receipts and trying to figure out where you misfiled something, then keep right on looking through your files, running reports and scanning papers because you do not need to worry about writing down those URLs. We will publish them all at our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. So once you've got a handle on the audit field work that you're prepping for right now this very minute, then go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and get all of Tasha's information. Now, we'll also have a link, as I already said, to Tasha's generous offer for a 45-minute free consultation. Please do take her up on that offer. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, it probably means you like accounting, and that means you're near and dear to my heart. And it also means that you should definitely check out episode 124 with Tiffany Couch. She is a forensic accountant who wrote a book about fraud and embezzlement that reads like a true crime novel. Each chapter is essentially um, one type of nonprofit, for-profit, or governmental fraud or embezzlement that she uncovered. Um, And then at the end of it, she tells you what type of fraud it is and what internal controls you can have in place that would prevent that fraud. It is a great read. I believe that every single nonprofit treasurer in America should read that book. So also want to let you all know, listeners, that I'm going to be speaking later this month at the Centerlink Leadership Summit. And I've asked them for permission to record and release my presentations as a podcast. And one of my two presentations is going to be how to survive a financial meltdown within your organization. I often have organizations that reach out to me and say, oh my gosh, we think we can't make payroll in a week. Or, you know, our largest funder just told us we're not going to get money, any more money after three months. What should we do? And so this presentation is going to focus on that. I'm looking forward to being able to record it along with the audience's Q&A and sharing it with you as a podcast episode in the coming weeks. Now, I say this every single episode, but please, if you have not already subscribed, rated, and reviewed the podcast, please go online and do that. It helps other listeners find out about the podcast. Well, dear listeners, that is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. 
Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.